So um, this message started in July. July 21st, I reached out to Mark because we had a men's breakfast on the 22nd. Sorry. Um, and I asked him, well, who's, who's preaching tomorrow? Who's giving the, the testimony or whatever um, so that I can pray for them? And Mark had had a really bad week. He's like, <gasps> I don't know. So I said, okay, I'll prepare something. And uh, next day I went to men's breakfast. Men's breakfast was great, as it always is. If you're in the area, please come out to men's, men or women's breakfasts. Um, and um, while we were there, he realized, yes, somebody's going to give the message. And they did, and it was a great message. So part of me was like, oh. And then just a couple days later on Monday, Devorah from um, Chosen People Ministry, because Jonathan and I had registered for Shalom New York this year, which is why I'm dressed down. I'm in uniform today. <laughs> um, she called and said, I have a favor to ask of you. And I'm like, okay, it's more than a month before. What? I want you to give a devotion on Monday of Shalom New York. Can you do that? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, so this is why you had me prepare this, Lord. <laughs> um, and as I came home, that message went well. It's a little bit of a, a little bit daunting speaking encouragement to a, to a room that's half filled with MDivs. <laughs> and, and some of them teach in the seminary there. <laughs> kind of felt like being back in Bible school. Um, anyway, uh, the message went well, and it's throughout the week, God just kind of impressed on me the importance of this message. And coming home, it's like, it'd be really good to be able to share this with the church. And then when I was first back in church, coming home with COVID, being away for two weeks because of that, Roman asked me to take this Sunday between the summer series on Proverbs and his series on Malachi. So that's, that's how we got here today. So this message has been on my heart since, you know, late July, brewing and steeping. So it's, it's a strong cup of coffee. <laughs> the title of my message is First Things First. Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna follow a word in particular, one word through Scripture in a few verses. It's used in a lot of places, but there's one verse where it started and three significant verses that we need to look at today and think really carefully about. So to give a little bit of background, because not everybody was here back in 2018, this whole thing started with Shalom New York and, and, and what follows from that um, with Pastor Rizzo at the time saying, to the leadership team, what do you guys make of this verse in Romans 1.16? Um, Romans 1.16 is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He goes, what do you make of that word first? What do you think that Paul meant by first? So we all pulled out our Bibles because... The exhortation was to do independent study and come together and have a good argument, which was awesome. Uh, that word first is the Greek word protos or proton, uh, and it signifies first in space, time, number, or rank. And when you go and look and study it, and you look in commentaries, you will find literally a set of commentaries that will support every one of those definitions. Oh, it was to the Jew first in space and time. Oh, it was to the Jew first in number, right? And then it went to the Greek church. And we kind of left the, the, the Jewish people behind. And then if you take the time and follow it through Scripture, specifically looking at Paul, you find that Paul, when he went to a city through his missionary journeys, he'd go to the Jews first. He'd go to the synagogue, and he'd, he'd wrestle with them and Torah tussle with them. And eventually, after, you know, a couple of weeks, there was a row. And he says, fine, I'm going to the Gentiles. And they, there would be more of a row. 
And he went, and some people left with him as, as believers in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And then he would move on to the next city, and lo and behold, he did the same thing. He would go to the Jews, right, and wrestle with them and get to a conflict and then leave to go to the Gentiles, and some would go and some would be upset and try to sabotage his ministry. And in every one of these cities, he would leave an assembly of Jews and Greeks together believing in Yeshua the Messiah. And then you see him go to a city and there's no Jewish population. So he goes to the Greeks. And in another city, he goes, and there's no synagogue. So he goes to the river, which is where the Jews gathered to pray. And he would debate with them there. And there would be a row and, you know, he'd start a church. So from Paul's perspective, because of his behavior... I think he means the word protos, proton, to be first in rank or priority. And if you stop and think about it, it makes a lot of sense because in every generation, there is a new generation of Jewish people who haven't heard that Yeshua the Messiah has come. They haven't heard the gospel, and they need the gospel. They need to know what the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures say, what the Tanakh teaches us in, in passages like Isaiah 53 and in Psalm 22 and, and in Psalm 2. They need to know that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. That are, there is none that seek after God. They've all together gone out of the way, right? There is none who does good, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. I mean, that's the New Testament version, the Roman road. There are verses that correspond to a Jerusalem road that teach those things. And Isaiah 53 talks about the servant of the Lord in a very narrow sense because it's one of the servant songs. And, and earlier it's talking about Israel and then it comes down to a single man. And this man is high and lifted up, but then he's treated horribly and he dies for the sins, we lay, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he dies. He dies a criminal death. And then he's raised again. And the gospel's right there in Isaiah 53. And if you show that or read that to a Jewish person, like, why are you reading me the New Testament? It's like it's not. It's in your it's in your Hebrew Bible, in Yahyahu. It's your Jewish prophet who said these things. So we went to Shalom, you know, we did that. We came to that, that, that conclusion as a church, and we said we need to reorder our missions program. So we, we did some research on various missions organizations to the Jewish people, Friends of Israel, Jews for Jesus, Ariel.org. CPM, Chosen People Ministry. And we chose Chosen People Ministry. They're actually the closest to us. We invited Rich Flash from the come out. He came out at the end of 2018, and we voted to take them on, uh, take him on as, as a missionary, support Chosen People Ministry, um, to keep the Jews first in our outreach and missions. And he came back in, in the spring and he was talking about this thing, Shalom New York. So, um, you know, it's, it sounded pretty, pretty amazing. Go for a week on the city's, city streets in New York and Brooklyn, you know, Manhattan and Brooklyn, and, and talk to Jewish people about the Lord. And I looked at my study and I said, you know, I never saw this verse the way that I understand it to mean today after all that study. And I need to go. And it was an act of, of repentance on my part before the Lord to go. I signed up, put all the paperwork in, paid the fee, went there and arrived in New York City. There, there were actually two teams that year. There was about 50 of us in Manhattan and another 50 in, in Brooklyn. And there were two weeks instead of one week. So there was an, another set of teams coming the week after we went. And... Uh, I brought Jonathan along with me. Um, that was an awesome experience, and I was terrified. 
what am I doing in New York talking to Jewish people about the gospel? Every day of that week, when we had prayer time, I prayed for courage. I prayed for courage and that God would use me. And every day starts out with, you know, we have prayer and worship, we have a, a devotional, we have teaching about how to talk to Jewish people, what to avoid talking to, you know, different points to help equip you to go out in the streets and set up book tables and stand for a couple hours talking to people who walk by in, in Manhattan or Brooklyn. It's terrifying. And it's exhilarating. And you know what? God manifests himself there. And then I went, you know, COVID shut everything down. I went in, in um, 2021, and it was hot, so hot, like 90 degrees, 90, high 90 degrees in the city. It was a grueling week. Um, and it was a hard week, not a lot of good conversations. And Jonathan finished up gradu graduating, and he started his job this year, and I was like going to come with me this year? And he's like, I don't know. I said, come on, come on, let's go again. So we went. And, and this, this year was tremendous. And I'm not going to rehearse all the stories. You know, we posted on, on the church's band. We church, posted on the church's uh, seeker group in, in Facebook. So if you haven't seen those, let me know. And I, I can try to, try to give you some if, if you're interested. Give me your email, and I can send something to you. You can hear, hear the stories, because um, the stories are important. I'm, I'm not without stories today, but that's not my point. But it was an act of repentance, and it was that that came to mind when, when Mark asked me to prepare something for men's breakfast. So I started following this word proton in the New Testament, and it's used a lot. And it's used for all the definitions, first in space and time and number and rank or priority. But I think there's three verses that we need to see that specifically are about rank and priority, which is why the title, First Things First, right? So if you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew 6. This is the first passage, Matthew 6. We're going to read 10 verses. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm going to talk about a couple of them. So Matthew 6, no one can, this is what the passage starts. He's been talking, Matthew has been talking about the way that the, uh, the, the rabbinic, uh, the Pharisees acted, or at least some subset of the Pharisees acted. And there's an exhortation about, you know, giving alms and praying, and etc., and how you should or shouldn't do it. And he comes to this. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he specifically identifies two masters there. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a statue? So why are you worrying about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient the day is 
is its own trouble. So the first point I want to make here, no one can serve two masters. That's the verb didymi. And it's, it's a present tense verb. It's a continuous action. And it means it's, it's an ability statement. You have no ability to serve two masters. And he says, particularly, you're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to despise one, and you're going to be devoted to the other. Now, he crosses those, right? He does that rabbi thing to make you think more about it. So the question is, who is your master? Who is first in your life? First in priority and rank. Because you can't serve two masters. And he tells us, particularly in that passage, that one of them is God and the other is mammon. Now, mammon is the things of the world. It could be taken as materialism. It could be named the name of a pagan god. So who are you serving? Are you serving the one true living God, or are you an idolater? That's the question here. And it's about who you are seeking and what you are seeking. Because we're supposed to seek his kingdom first, and his righteousness. Oh, what's that look like? We have a book that tells us about these things. We know what righteousness looks like. The perfect example of righteousness is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. As a matter of fact, he is the end of all these things, right? All right, what's a good earthly example? Not Yeshua. Not someone who is also son of God and son of man. Well, the, the good example I would point out from the Tanakh is David, a man after God's own heart, right? And a not-so-good example was the king that preceded him, Saul. Saul was all God chose him, and he, he rallied Israel together, and he fought the Philistines. But he had some issues, right? He was sent to Agag, and, he, and Agag and the Philistines were put under the ban. He was supposed to destroy them all. Men, women, children, the king, everything in the cities. He didn't do that. He kept Agag alive. He kept the good sheep alive. And when Samuel finally comes... He's like, I did everything the Lord told me to. And Samuel says, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen if you did everything that God said? So if you're truly seeking, and seeking is trying to, to find, trying to establish, right? So this is a bit of the already but not yet. Right? Because we have a kingdom that we belong to, and it's not the United States of America. It's the kingdom of our Messiah, our Lord, our King. Right? And it's here in our hearts, but it's not here on the whole earth yet. So are we seeking that kingdom first? Are we seeking Messiah Yeshua, our King's righteousness first? Now stop and think about this. Because if, if we were seeking His kingdom first, we would be doing the things that He tells us to do. Right? Like that verse that says, go and make, dis you know, make disciples. That one key command by baptizing them, by, um, by having gone, by baptizing them, and by teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's like, oh, that's like discipleship, right, Roman? Being a mature disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. So how many disciples have you made? 
Because that's the evidence of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh. How many of you have been in a discipleship group? How many of you haven't? They're coming again. Here's your chance. Talk to Roman. First in rank or priority. And when we seek his righteousness, righteousness is like a hundred pennies for a dollar, right? It's something that's true and, and right by a measure. And there's a lot of measures in Scripture for what righteousness looks like. Are we righteous? Do we live up to that standard? And yes, I know we're sinful people. We continue to sin. That's why 1 John 1.9 is in the Bible. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We need to keep short accounts with God. And every day we need to decide that he's his kingdom, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness is a priority. This is his household. We are his temple. So when I go into the world, does my temple look like the glorious temple that Solomon built to the world? I mean, these are some litmus ways of looking at your own life. And frankly, I go, oh, get on my knees and ask forgiveness again. This church is an embassy of his kingdom, if you think about it. If we start running this as a kingdom, the school as a kingdom, not under his command. That's not seeking his kingdom first. If we behave, and we'll get into this a little bit more, as brothers and sisters in Christ, not according to his standard of righteousness, then that's not his king, seeking his kingdom. So that's the first question. The second one, so, one last thought. He took us from the kingdom of darkness, right? You can see that on the evening news. Everywhere around us. We are living among the kingdom of darkness, right? He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in his kingdom of life. He took us out of death and put us into life. And that more abundantly. Does my life shine forth light and life to this world? The second one, a little bit further down in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. Controversy with the Pharisees, right? Matthew 22, 30, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they weren't too friendly with the Sadducees. They gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, got to love lawyers. I know a Christian lawyer, so not all of them are bad. He asked, the, he asked him, Jesus, Yeshua, a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So they came testing him. This is a long-running controversy in the first century, which is the greatest commandment. You can go back and look in... in um, the writings of, of the rabbis, there's a, lot of, there's a lot there. One of them's got to be the greatest, and there's camps. And, and Jesus said, when he's asked, what's the great commandment, which literally kind of gets to the point, which one is the most important, the greatest, Jesus goes, oh, oh I'm not going to answer you with one. He goes, the first is love the Lord your, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And that exactly quotes the Septuagint. And we'll look at a different verse because it's a little bit different. And the second is like it. He tied two together. So I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you two because they complete a thought. The second is like it. Like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. So these two together give you the whole picture of the, the rank and priority of the Tanakh, of the Old, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But to kind of understand this better, we got to go back to the source. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is out of the complete Jewish version. It's important. Um, hopefully I don't butcher the, the Hebrew too bad. Too bad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, all your being, all your resources. These words I am ordering you today to be on your heart, and you are to teach them carefully to your children. You are to talk of them when you sit at home, when you are traveling on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them upon your hand as a sign. Put them at the front of a headband around your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house and upon your gates. Now the Shema, and, and just for comparison's sake, the Greek uses cardia for heart in the Septuagint, and that corresponds to lavab, the Hebrew word meaning heart and understanding. It uses suke for soul, and the Greek word is nephesh, which is breath, soul, life, being. And it, and it uses dionia for, in the, for the last one, mind or understanding, which is kind of a repetition of what's already there with um, cardia. But the Hebrew is me'od. It's translated like might or capacity. Probably, one, one scholar says, probably the best definition is veriness. But that doesn't like sit well with English. Like, what do you mean by veriness? It means like everything, right? All of what you are, verily, right? So, and, and this translation, it translates it resources. So it's, it's your heart, your immaterial part, your soul, which is all of your being, like material and immaterial, and then all of your resources, all your mi'od, everything that is you, your land, your money, your crops, your influence, everything that is within your sphere of control. That's an all-consuming love. That's a devotional love. You can't have two of these loves. And the Septuagint uses agape as the type of love this should be. This is that I do all for you kind of love. It's a, a sacrificial love. It's the love that we see on the cross when Christ poured out his blood as a propitiation to God's justice, and as a redemption to buy us out of the slave market of sin. And the outflowing of this love that we're supposed to keep on our heart, we're supposed to meditate on this. Now, now just an aside, the Shema is a, is a prayer that religious Jews, observant Jews, pray multiple times a day. If they pray all of them, they pray it First, when they wake up, first thing, and they pray it during morning prayers, the Amadav morning prayers. They pray it during evening prayers, the Amadav evening prayers. And then they pray it the last thing before they go to sleep. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And it goes on from there. But it has implications for our life. Right in the verse here, right? Keep it on your heart. You are to teach it diligently to your children. 
Dads, this is your responsibility, not Grace Academy. They are helping you. They are a delegate of your authority. But it's your responsibility to teach these things diligently to your children. That's part of your love for God. And it's part of your love for your children. But it goes beyond that. You're to talk of it. Talk to them about it. When you sit at home, when you're walking in your way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's like you, you start at home and you go out into the world, you return to home. It's like you're talking about it all the time. When you lie down at night, when you wake up in the morning, the two ends of the day, literally all the time. This should be a topic of conversation always, everywhere, all the time. And any other conversation you want to have, use whatever's left over. Not exactly what we do. And then it talks about binding it on your hand as a sign. And you get the tefillim out and Chabad will be here to help you pray. Right? Put it on a front, uh, on a headband in front of your eyes. Write it on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates, right? So hang it up so wherever you look in, in your abode, you see it so that this is always on your heart. That's the love that we're supposed to have for Adonai. But that's not the only thing. Jesus connected this to another verse. So turn with me to Leviticus 19. I'm going to read two in the beginning because it kind of sets the stage and then 17 and 18 which are are quoted. Leviticus 19, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying to them, You shall be holy, set apart. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. So there's the standard, right? The righteousness that we're supposed to seek. And then when it gets down to 17 and 18, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? So his command is the end of that verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So here's the bookends of the law. And it specifically commands... Now, now this verse connects neighbor and brother. And it's talking about my people. So it's talking about how you act within a Jewish community. And it specifically says, you are not to hate your brother. You are not to take vengeance. You are not to hold a grudge. And the hatred is in your heart. You're stewing on it. You're wanting to hurt them and take vengeance to bring your version of justice to there. You're not holding a grudge that you're going to do them wrong and make it even. Instead, it says, rebuke them. And the point, what's the point of rebuke? You've sinned against me. You did this. And the end of that is their confession. Yes, you're right, I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I've hurt you. Please forgive me. And you restore them and restore your fellowship. In this way, love your neighbor. So let's think of these two. And and oh, by the way, there's another lawyer who comes in to ask Jesus about this situation, and he's he thinking he's going to defend himself. He goes, who's my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which were hated by the Jews. So Jesus not only connects your neighbor with your brother, but your enemy. You're supposed to love your enemies in the same way. 
love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a, a rule for loving yourself. It's a rule for loving other people as much as you inherently love yourself. You want God to restore you, you should restore your brother. You have something against your brother, tell your brother. If he won't hear you, there's a process in the church for dealing with that, but ultimately God will set the record straight in the proper time in the proper way. And the bottom of that is I am the Lord, trust me, right? Now let's think about this. If our first love is supposed to be God, what happens if I love my wife more than I love God? Well, then all my relationships are out of whack. And, and kind of, that sounds like idolatry to me. If I love my kids more than I love God, oh, he can't, we can't do that. I can't teach them God's word. They're too young. It's too much for them to understand. He, he says, teach them. Look at the Jewish community. They start really, 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 really young. I want to keep a grudge in my heart. That's not obeying and loving your, your brother. As a matter of fact, if you love God with this all-consuming love, every other relationship in your life will be better and will be in right priority and proportion. Just think, husbands, of what it says about loving our wives, living with them with knowledge and understanding, about our children, how we're not supposed to anger them, right? About people, how we're supposed to be honest and truthful to them, how we're supposed to be forgiving to them. If you love God in this way, the way that we are called to, this first love, everything else is in its proper order. Because God's Word calls you to that. He teaches you that. He empowers you to do that. Jesus added another one of these conditions in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now he's speaking to the disciples, right? So he's speaking to the church, the believing population. Love one another, agape one another. As I have loved you, in the same way I have loved you, love one another. What does that look like? Right? So our neighbor and our brother has our brother has a closer relationship. So now our neighbors, our enemies are now the ones who we love with the same love that we inherently have for ourselves. And we love our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that Christ loves us. How many times has he forgiven you? Peter asked that question. Should I should I Forgive them seven times. That's better than three that the rabbis tell me. No, 70 times seven. And if you get all the way out to that number, I'm thinking you're going to lose count. And oh, by the way, if you forgive them, that wipes the slate clean. And there's no offense anymore. Now there's another place where this First love is used. And I say this in all tenderness, but in, I uphold it to you in truth. That's out of Revelation chapter 2. You know that, that epistle to Ephesians that we like, that we kind of think this is kind of our church because we have a doctrinal standing and we're, we're good. The risen Christ who holds the seven stars and the seven menorahs in his hand, that he's among the churches, right? That he is holding the messenger of the church in his hand. says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Same thing. Proton. Agape. You left them. You left them. It's a, an aorist verb, and it's active. You let it go. You left. You left it behind. This is a picture where a spouse has left the relationship, but they're still ministering. He still commends them for testing, for doing the due diligence and due care of ministry, for teaching. They're doing all the work, but there's no heart left in it. Is that where we are as a church? I mean, the first thing is a command to us individually. This is to a church. So as a church, is Adonai and his son and his spirit our first love? Then we moved on to the third installment, the third word that I want to talk about in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I'll read 5 verses 15 to 20. <clears throat> he is the image or icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that, and that on, are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the, the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and that by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Tons of doctrine here. We're not going to go deep into all the doctrine. I'm sorry. That would be at least one other sermon. Firstborn over all creation. Prototokos. From the same lemma. Different part of speech. He's the firstborn. It speaks of either the numerical rank in birth or it speaks of supremacy. I believe in this passage it, it speaks of the supremacy of Christ. He is the firstborn, and, and I believe that because he's not, and it's not speaking of his humanity, because he is the firstborn over all the creation. It's a singular thing. So he is Lord over all. All the things that were made, right? And you can't be a firstborn, like a first created thing like the Gnostics want to do here if you're over all creation. And it says that in him all things were created. It's an aorist. It's past tense. He is, they are created in him. This gets to the whole concept of before there was any creation, there was God. Right? He was the only substance. And when it gets to Genesis, he creates, right? And we believe that he creates out of nothing, which means that the very first thing that God had to make was nothing. Now, wrap your head around that and get a headache. And the Jewish scholars have written a very interesting paper. Thank you, Pastor Rizzo. Right? So, so he is in him in Adonai, in, in God, in Yeshua, all things are created. He is the ground of creation, right? Literally, we say that all this exists, all creation exists. It stands up out of, it stands up out of his being. And then it says, through him, all things were created, right? And that's a perfect verb. So it past completed action with abiding results. Everything was created through him, right? It occurred and it stands. He is the agent of creation. The mediatorial way that creation came into being. And for us it says for him, 
literally the Greek word is ice, into him all things were created. Again, the perfect tense. He is the end, the goal of all creation. And in him all things consist, hold together. I think that if scientists drill down far enough into observing the universe, they get to a place where the only thing that will ever make sense is that God's holding it together. You get down into subatomic particles when everything turns digital, <laughs> if you've heard some certain preachers, at the bottom of it, God's holding it all together. He is the firstborn out of the dead. Now, this is firstborn, first rank, right? He is the first to be raised up from the dead. His, his human body was raised up on, on the Feast of Firstfruits as a fulfillment of the free, Feast of Firstfruits. And he has a special firstborn place as the first resurrected. He rules the family. And he is firstborn out of the dead, Hina, in order that purpose clause, he should become in all things. Now, now we're not talking just about the, the creation as a whole. We're talking about all the particulars in everything. He himself preeminent. Now, if you look, it has those statements, right? He created the material and immaterial, the visible, the in, in, invisible. It talks specifically about ranks of, of spiritual beings out of angelology. He is the firstborn. He is the person who is first in rank above all. And not just because he was born of, of a woman. Adonai, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are first in rank over overall. But Yeshua, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Son of Man, is particularly first. That he might have preeminence, the firstness, the superlative firstness in all things. This, is, this thought is kind of repeated in the Philippians in different words. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. And I read out of the complete Jewish Bible because it, it, it just reads clearer. Let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah Yeshua. For though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took on the form of a slave by becoming a human being like we are. And when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even unto death. Now you can see that picture of that verse in Isaiah 53. And that death on the stake as a criminal. Therefore, God has raised him to the highest place preeminent, and gave him the name above every name, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's in heaven, in the spiritual realm, on earth, and in Sheol, in, in the, the abode of the dead. And every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. Now his preeminence is glorious, but did you catch what it says up front? We're supposed to be formed in us with that same mind. As a matter of fact, the verse goes on a little bit further. 12 to 15, So my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed when I was with you, it is even more important that you obey now when I am away from you. Keep working out your deliverance or salvation in, in other versions with fear and trembling. 
That's, that's the right relationship with God, right? Fear and trembling. For God is the one working among you, both the willing, the deciding, and the working, like making it happen in flesh, and fleshing it, incarnating it, for what pleases Him. Do everything without kvetching and arguing, without murmuring, without complaining, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God, without defect, in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation among whom you shine like the stars in the sky, being that light, reflecting His light into this dark world. Similarly, we see this in Romans 8, 28 and 29. For we know, we love verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Thank you, Lord. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, to be grown from the inside out to the image of His Son. We're supposed to be iconography of Christ. That He might be the prototokos, the firstborn among many brethren, the first brother, the son of promise. And then Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your living body, a, a, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, acceptable to God, pleasing to Him, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will that God has for you. Now, interestingly, when you read in the New Covenant, it has that phrase that says, that I will be hallowed in you before their eyes, and that by being hallowed in us before the eyes of the nations, the nations will know that I am Adonai, that God is the Lord. He wants to be hallowed in you. This is first rank, first priority. And if you think about it, if you're seeking first the kingdom and righteousness, well, there's a king there. And that's the king you're supposed to love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your resources. And you're supposed to live in such a way that he is lifted up and shown supreme and shown great and shown glorious. That in fact, when people look at us and our relationship, they see us and they see His kingdom visibly manifested in this world before their eyes. Our verse, Isaiah 52, 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces shalom and salvation, peace and salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, right? So there's a lot of stories that we shared on, um, on band, and, and um, there's one that we only mentioned in passing at the end. That was Mark Brown. So we were done. We, had, we, had, uh, we finished Friday night with Shabbat dinner. Saturday morning, we got up, we checked out, we went to... Um, that's Shar Shalom in Brooklyn. That's where uh, Rich Flashman is. That's where Bobby Walter is. That's where Devorah is. And um, we attended Shabbat services. We, we ate Oleg with them. And we caught a cab back um, to Manhattan with the Flashmans. <clears throat> and we had a couple hours to kill till our, our train. So we got on the E train to go to Penn Station. We get on the train and we... There's standing room only, so we're standing up in, in the train. And in front of us is a guy kind of sprawled on, on the bench. 
and he's got a suitcase next to him taking up two more seats. And he, he looks, at the very least, homeless. Mark, and find out later, his name is Mark Brown. And I said, you okay? Can I help you at all? And he's like, leave me alone. Right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and Jonathan remarks in the post, like, and my dad started a conversation with him. <laughs> he's like, he smells bad. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, I'm Doug. What's your name? My name is one of the Gospels. Okay, that's an interesting way to answer. So I go, well, which one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? He kind of looks up at me. So I'm trying to engage him, and he's pushing me away. <clears throat> I didn't say anything about the fact that he was taking up three or four spots, and we're standing. And previous to leaving on the E-train, our, our team leaders, Bill and Marcella, gave us, you know, when you, when you start Salem, New York, the first Friday night, they give you a pass for the subway, right? Pass is good for one week from when you start it. And it, it's good for seven days until midnight on the seventh day. So everybody starts out on Sunday using that pass. Here it is Friday after, uh, Saturday afternoon, so there's like a day and a half left on it. So Marcella and Bill gave us their cards. They go, find some homeless person that could use this. Because it's good for another day and a half, right? Be a blessing to somebody. So I said, hey, gospel, could you use a pass? I got a pass for the subway that's good for another uh, good till tomorrow night he goes oh yeah thanks takes it and he takes the one he has and he drops it underneath on the floor of the subway he goes that one just ran out so it's like oh thank you Lord already we're a blessing to this guy and we start having a little bit of a conversation and I find out his name is Mark and uh he goes, you know, if you really want to help me, you could buy some, me something to eat. I haven't eaten in a long time. And I get this two thoughts in the back of my head. The first thought is, okay, here we go, right? And, and they tell you, don't interact with the homeless people, the, the crazy people on the street, because some of them are really, really crazy, and you can get hurt. As, as the video they showed us in, when you see a homeless person yelling and walking down the street, get out of the way, <laughs> right? So I look at him, and the second thought in my head is, and some have entertained angels unaware. So I'm looking at him going, okay, Lord, what do I do now? Is this just a test? And Jonathan's like, I'm like, all right, we can buy you something to eat. We got time. So he's like, really? I said, yeah, come on, let's go. This is our stop. We're going to Penn Station. We're taking a train home to Springfield after this. He goes, okay. He follows us out, and he's leading us through, through the, the subway into Penn Station. He, we get into Penn Station, and he goes, through Penn Station, he's headed towards the door. He goes, I don't want to eat down here. All this stuff is crap. <laughs> it's like, okay. And we're approaching the door, and another bad thought enters my head. It's like he's taking us outside. He's going to mug us. And then I look, and there's a whole bunch of people standing outside, and I go, no, I think we're safe. Okay, lead on. We go outside, and there's a whole bunch of people, and, you know, there's food trucks, and we're looking around for a place to eat, and he goes, over there, and I, you know, KFC. So we cross the street, we cross another street, we go down, and um, we go into KFC, and I said, order whatever you want. And then he, he ordered, you know, a sandwich, drink. He, he ordered a meal and, and some um, mac and cheese. And he goes, excuse me for a minute. So I'm there waiting for it. You know, I paid the lady. I'm there waiting for it, because already in the back of my head is I'm not going to give them cash, because I don't know what they're going to do with cash. I'll feed you. And uh, he goes, excuse me, I, I need to go change my clothes. 
So he left with his bag and he came back because over the course he had soiled himself, which is what Jonathan had smelled. Cleaned himself up. He came back, sat down. Er, He ate the mac and cheese first. And he's like, oh, this is so good. It's been like two days since I've eaten. Come to find out, this guy has a college degree in electrical engineering. And he has worked in most of the buildings in Manhattan over the course of a, like a 20-year career. And, towards, and he was there at 9-11 picking up the pieces. And he was in some piece of work on the seventh floor working on circuitry and something went wrong and he got zapped. And he was blown out the window and through the project, protective netting, and he fell seven floors to the ground and landed on his side on a park bench. And he bounced off the back of the park bench and landed on his other side on one of those little spiky iron fences that surround the trees on the tree belt. And he was in a coma. He was in a coma for, I think he said, five days. And when he came out, the doctors were like, we got to do surgery and stuff, but you may never walk, you probably will never walk again. So just get it in your head. And they patched him back together. And he worked his way back to walking. He walked from the E train through Penn Station across a couple blocks. And he was moving. I mean, we were walking full stride, keeping up with him. So he tells us that story, and he tells us that he was, he's a believer in God. And, he, you know, he said, I was sizing you guys up, whether or not you were just riffraff or what. But you guys are taking care of me. He, he's from a Pentecostal background, and he was, he's done a bunch of street evangelism on, in New York City. He's responsible for saving a judge down around NYU. She was going to be mugged. And he, he knows martial arts. He beat the tar out of some guy who was going to hurt this judge. Um, and he, at this point in time, has cancer because he and, he and his wife both got cancer from cleaning up the mess around ground zero. His wife has already passed, died of cancer. He's got... He's got um, a house in New Jersey that he doesn't live in anymore. He's living on the streets. He's preaching the gospel on the streets. And his, he's a lot rougher than I am. He's like, I told you the truth. If you don't want to believe it, then I'll have, have fun in hell. See you later. You know? And he's like, I'm in so much pain, but I'm walking, and, and I love God. God doesn't owe me anything. I'm just waiting for him to take me home. And I long to see his face. You guys have blessed me today. I said, no, you've blessed me. Now, I started out saying this. The first time I went to New York, it was just terror on the streets, right? And the second year was hard. This year was so, so beautiful. We got down to City Hall set up the table, prayed. We turn around and there's two boys and we talk to them and you saw the story about them and one of them took a New Testament and then right on their heels, Tyler came, conservative Jew, uh, an observant Jew, just spent a year in Israel and he took an Isaiah 53, explained home with him to read. Um, we talked to multiple Orthodox people this year all of them were open. We ta I talked to a, a, a Belgian Orthodox woman um, from, who, was, who was in the city and uh, had a wonderful conversation with her. Talked with Carol one night in our elevator who is in town to have surgery from um, Palm Beach, Florida, where sun, Fun in the Sun is done. We prayed over her. And she said, thank you so much. You've blessed me. God just used this again and again and again to speak truth and to plant seeds in the hearts and lives of people. It was 
a beautiful, wonderful, successful evangelistic effort. Now, you know, they teach you to look at evangelism from the angle scale. That You know, you start here as an atheist, and you end here 20 points later as a committed follower of Christ who's serving. And right in the middle is where you come to Christ where you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, right? Because you need to not only confess that he is Lord, but you need, you need not only believe it in your heart, but you need to confess it. And then the next step is baptism, right? And the next step after that is discipleship groups, which you all should be involved in. It's a step. It's a journey. And if you can move somebody one step forward or multiple step forward, it's great. It's not generally, hey, they're an atheist and I talked to them and five minutes later they got saved. That's just not the way it works. Now, are there some like that? Maybe. Right? But they're certainly not here as a committed follower serving. Now, there's three things that are really like a trinity of priority in your life. Are you seeking His kingdom and righteousness first? Are you loving Him first? And are you keeping Him preeminent in your life? I went longer than I wanted to go. But realize this, that everybody bows before the preeminent Christ. You're either going to bow before him here and now or there and then. But when he comes back there and then, he's coming back in justice.